started. Hey, just by show of hands, how many of you have enjoyed this When You Pray series? Raise your hand if you've enjoyed this When You Pray series. It's been fire. It's been amazing. All right, hold on, y'all. Hold on. Hold on. And you guys, we have had some amazing communicators. We had my wife, Sarah, opened it up. She did an amazing job. Um, she was incredible. You guys, we had Pastor Jeff Campbell Smith in the back, which was awesome. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Last week, Haley was incredible. Give it up for Haley. Haley was incredible. And now you get me. Okay, you get me closing out this series. Was that you that started cheering? I don't know who it was, but I'll pay you 20 bucks. I appreciate that. Uh, it, was, it was you. It was up. It was up. Tonight, the title of tonight's message is this. The title of tonight's message is this. Forgiven to forgive. Forgiven to forgive. What I want us to do is I want us to begin by praying the Lord's Prayer together. You're going to see it up on the screen. But I want us to pray it together. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 9, and we'll, we'll read out loud together through verse 13. So let's begin it together on the count of three. One, two, three. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the thing about this prayer is I don't think it was Jesus' intention that we would memorize this prayer and say it and yet have it be disconnected from our real lives, disconnected from our hearts. He's not just interested in and of having a prayer memorized that we say as if it's some kind of ritual. The point, as each one of our communicators have done over this last month, is to help us understand the heart of what Jesus is teaching us about when you pray. And I love that Jesus says, look, my expectation is that you're going to pray. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know God's expectation on you is that you would talk with him. It's pretty cool, right? That God expects you to talk to him. He wants you to talk with him. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to know who he is. He wants your will to be aligned with his will, but he wants to hear from you. Now, in verse 13, Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I think, I think one of the biggest temptations you and I will face in our lives is the temptation to not forgive. And so I want to really focus this message on those last few ideas of Jesus and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to talk about three things. The uncomfortable truth about God's forgiveness, the problem with unforgiveness, and the four steps we must take to forgive. Now, I want to be sensitive and understand that even as we talk about forgiveness, there are some of you, probably most of you in this room, who are holding on to some significant hurt and pain someone else has caused you. And I don't want you to think for a second that as I talk about forgiveness, that I'm talking about it lightly, or that I think it's an easy thing to do. In fact, it might in some ways be easier to just ignore it, but Jesus knows what's best for us. 
And so he's not going to let us off the hook because he wants freedom for you. He wants peace for you. And so in order for that to happen, we've got to talk about forgiveness. The first fill in the blank for tonight is this, the uncomfortable truth about forgiveness. Here's the uncomfortable truth about forgiveness. First thing is this, we all need it. We all need it. And if you live in a world in your head believing that you don't need forgiveness, that you're perfect, that you're fine as you are, that you've never wronged somebody, then my friends, your pool of friends and family and close relationships is going to shrink all the way down to none. Because every one of us are in need of forgiveness. I mean, look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh was like the most powerful dude in the history of the world up to this point. And even Pharaoh himself in Exodus chapter 10, verse 16, he quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and he said to them, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Pharaoh here, though he wasn't a believer, though he wasn't following God, he recognized that his sin offended God, but it also offended others. That every time you and I sin, you need to understand this, which a sin is any thought, word, or action that is disobedient to God. That's disobedient to his word, disobedient to his desires for our lives, that goes against his truth. Anytime we sin, we sin against God, and we sin against others. So even when you say something mean to someone close to you, you're not just sinning against that person, but you're sinning against God. Because he designed you to be in a perfect relationship with him and others, and that's not happening. Paul doubles down on this in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a few things that every single one of us have common in this room. And we may come from different cities. We may be different ethnicities. We may come from different backgrounds and different family structures. But some of the things that we all have in common is, number one, every one of us is created by God. Every single one of you is created by God for a purpose. He loves you. The other thing we have in common is all of us are sinners. All of us are broken. All of us have fallen short of God's design for our lives. But here's the other uncomfortable truth about God's forgiveness. The evidence of his forgiveness in our life is visible. The evidence is visible. Here's what I mean by that. If you refuse to forgive someone who has offended you, if you're, if you're calling yourself a Christian, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you refuse to forgive someone, the only logical reason that you would refuse to forgive someone is because you yourself are outside of God's grace and have not truly experienced his forgiveness. And I know those can sound like harsh words. And I understand that forgiveness can take time. Absolutely, I get that. But if you are unwilling to forgive somebody for an offense that they committed against you, then it actually calls into question it raises the question, are you truly forgiven by God? Have you truly experienced his forgiveness because it's not visible in your life? I mean, that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts. God, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
In other words, Jesus assumes that as we cry out to God for forgiveness, that we have also been forgiving others. Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. C.S. Lewis put it this way, no part of Jesus' teaching is clearer, and there are no exceptions to it. Jesus doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins provided they are not too frightful or provided they are, are, not, they are not extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own. This is the un comfortable reality of God's forgiveness is that when you truly experience it, I'm not just talking about you've heard people talk about it or you've even read about it, but when you for yourself have truly experienced and processed the fact that your sin sets you apart from God and yet he has chosen to respond by forgiving you, that when that truly wells up within you, it's the fuel and the resources you need to be able to forgive another. But you see, the next thing we've got to talk about is the problem with unforgiveness. Because some of you are going, okay, well, I, I'm sorry. There's, there's just too much pain that I've experienced from a group of people or, or that particular person. I'm, I'm unwilling to forgive. Well, there's a problem with unforgiveness. And here's the problem with unforgiveness. The problem with unforgiveness is that he travels with a bunch of destructive friends. That unforgiveness travels with a bunch of destructive friends. In Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's as if Paul is saying this list of, of destructive friends of unforgiveness like bitterness and rage and anger and slander and, and cynicism and resentment that, that those things will eat away at you and the solution the solution is forgiveness. Let me, let me try to make this clear to you. Where's uh, uh, Kasai and Malik? Kasai and Malik, come up here real quick, you guys. Come up here real quick. You guys, can you give uh, Kasai and Malik a round of applause? Bitterness and rage and anger and cynicism. 
And maybe some of you have experienced this, that, that you've been wrong, you've been hurt, and you're unwilling to forgive, but, but you're trying to move forward. You, you're trying to start a new relationship. <laughs> And so, logically, what we need to talk about next is this. The four steps we must take to forgive. The four steps we must take to forgive. And, and don't miss this. You can choose unforgiveness. You can choose it. Just expect resentment and bitterness to come with it. You can choose unforgiveness, but just expect that it'll be difficult for you to actually fully understand and comprehend God's grace. And so maybe forgiving, something you haven't tried before, might be worth considering. Maybe Jesus was on to something. Step number one is this. You can't forgive in your own strength. This is huge. This is where it's really important that we think about this 
through the lens of the gospel. We think about this as Christians. This is not some moralistic message. It's not, so now go do this on your own. That's not how Christianity works. Jesus sets the bar real high for all of us as followers of him. And then he makes it clear, you can't get there without me. You can't follow me without me. This blows my mind. There's so many Christians out there trying to follow Jesus without Jesus. You can't follow Jesus without Jesus. And so you can't forgive in your own strength. Look at that verse that we just looked at, Ephesians chapter 4, just verse 32. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. But he doesn't stop there. If he just stopped there, it would be just a command that you have to go figure out on your own. Paul didn't end there. He said this. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. You want to know how you can forgive that person that has hurt you, that has done unimaginable things to you, that, it, that, has, that has occupied so much of your brain and your emotions? You do it in the power of Christ. You do it through the gospel. You do it like this. Forgiveness received. Forgiveness given. Grace received. Grace given. Mercy received. Mercy given. You guys, I, I sound, this is going to sound so stupid and silly to you, but like I apply this when I'm driving on the road. Like when I'm driving on the road and somebody cuts me off, somebody puts me in a dangerous situation, somebody's just being a buffoon out there driving crazy, and I want to yell at them, and I want to go crazy on them, and I want to say things, say words that I would never include in a sermon here. You know what I literally do? I take a breath and I go, forgiveness received. I've received forgiveness for every time I've cut somebody off. Forgiveness given. That when somebody wrongs me or hurts me, even in my parenting with my children, when they act like half-brained, crazy little aliens, I go, grace received, grace given. Mercy received, mercy given. Do not ever try to forgive someone in your own power because you will always still hold on to something. It'll be about you. It's only possible to truly forgive someone when you start with, well, I've been forgiven. I've been shown grace. I've been shown mercy. Number two, forgiving isn't downplaying or forgetting. It is important. Some people are unwilling, they're hesitant to forgive because they think, well, if I forgive, that's downplaying what they did. No, 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 actually, Forgiving someone is not downplaying what they did. It's actually acknowledging that what they did was offensive. That what they did was not okay. That what they did severed the relationship, hurt the relationship, that it brought about brokenness, and it has to be dealt with. So forgiveness does not downplay the offense at all. But forgiveness, it also isn't forgetting. God has given us memory for a reason. And if you're waiting to forgive someone until you're going to forget what they did, you'll never get around to it. You can forgive someone 
and still remember what they did, but not hold it over their head. Only through the power of Christ. In fact, you can forgive someone and still make a decision. I am not going to put myself back in that situation for it to happen again. So if any of you are in an abusive relationship, you can forgive that person and not go back into that relationship. If you're in a toxic or harmful relationship that's legitimately toxic and harmful, not just they said something that you need to hear that offends you, like actually toxic or harmful, which there's a difference there. If you're in an actually toxic or harmful relationship or situation, you can still forgive them and not put yourself back in that same situation. Number three, forgive them in your heart with God than in person. Sometimes we think, well, I am not going to forgive that person until they apologize. That's like you drinking poison expecting another person to die. It doesn't work like that. Now, it's awesome when somebody apologizes, and that's important in their rebuilding of the relationship. And it's nearly impossible to rebuild a relationship when somebody's hurt you or sinned against you and they aren't willing to admit it and apologize. But you can't control them. Did you know this? There's one person on planet Earth that you can control and it's you. That's it. Trust me, I've been a parent literally day one. I realized I can't control this thing. Like this is a beast of its own. You can't control anyone else. But you can control yourself. And you can choose in your heart to forgive someone. To say, I am going to forgive what they did because I have received forgiveness. Remember how it goes back to the gospel? It goes back to Jesus. You can forgive them whether they apologize or not because you have already been forgiven. And then I think it's really important when the time is right usually after they've apologized, but sometimes not even. Where you can appropriately say to them, hey, that thing you did, that really hurt me. But I need you to know I've forgiven you. My uh, mother-in-law, um, when she was 26 years old, she was driving, well, she was in the passenger seat, driving to a birthday party. Her husband was in the driver's seat. My wife, Sarah, as a one-and-a-half-year-old, was sitting behind her mom, and my wife Sarah's older sister Kristen was in the passenger or was behind uh, her dad. They were driving one afternoon to a birthday party when a drunk driver who was like four or five times the legal limit T-boned them, hit them, and instantly my wife Sarah's dad, my mother-in-law Sally, her husband was killed immediately, and my wife Sarah's older sister Kristen was killed. My mother-in-law, Sally, went to the trial of this guy who was being convicted for being responsible for the death of these two people. My mother-in-law, Sally, lost her husband and her oldest daughter in the blink of an eye. At the end of the trial, when they were sentencing him, he was obviously found guilty. There's sometimes a moment in trials like that where there's a victim impact statement or whoever the victim is gets to make a statement about how this has impacted their life, and they can literally say anything they want. My mother-in-law got up, and in front of a crowded courtroom, she said to this man, you took everything from me, but I forgive you. 
That is the only reason she has been able to slowly, painfully move on from that tragic day was because she knew Christ had forgiven her and she chose to extend that forgiveness to him. Which is our last point. Reconciliation is only possible after forgiveness. Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, For he himself, Jesus, is Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Paul here is talking about Jews and Gentiles. They had 500 years of racial prejudice and hatred between them. But Paul said Christ is our peace. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that he brings us into reconciliation. Reconciliation is restoring a broken relationship. And I want you to know God's desire for those broken relationships in your life is not just that you would forgive them and they would forgive you, but that there would be restoration. But if we're honest, that's not always possible. Sometimes a person passes away before there's reconciliation. Sometimes for good reason, because of the offense, because of how they've hurt you and what they've done to you, it's not safe for you to be in their presence, or that's not possible anymore. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't work for it. Remember, Jesus Christ didn't just forgive you, he reconciled. He didn't just forgive you of your sins. He brought you near to him and into relationship with him. And so in the same way that we depend on the gospel to not only to, to experience his forgiveness and then forgive others, we depend on the gospel that models for us how Jesus reconciled with us and how we can be in a relationship, a close relationship with him. And that's what he desires for us. And so I wonder in your life, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to apologize to? Maybe there are some people you need to say sorry to. Who do you need to forgive? And what steps do you need to take to reconcile? Because if you settle for unforgiveness, there's a bunch of destructive friends that come along with you. But if you'll lean into forgiveness, the kind that Christ has given you and that he expects you to give towards others by his power, You'll experience peace and freedom and relationship restoration. I want to show you a video of a crazy example of this. Just to demonstrate that this isn't just like easy stuff, but that this, this is significant, deep, and, and, and messy, but can be so beautiful. Let's watch this video together. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives, and it's everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action and see Hartman's A Sign of America. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, 59-year-old Kendrick Gates sits first together. The most seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be very daunting. In February 1993, Mary's son, Lorraine Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was one, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. Killed was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I love justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. 
And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years. O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood. Close to there. This. Close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from oh, is a story not a horrible misfortune that you might expect, but a remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here in Minnesota Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What did she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. But I was rejoiced myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, he wasn't live close, but our close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive him. Her forgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving you does not diminish what you've done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is from me. It's from me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't told you to forgive myself yet. I'm very happy to forgive myself. And I'm still going towards, you know, trying to forgive myself for what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's kindness by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on singing the praises of God and forgiveness of prisons, churches, the large audiences, everything. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience. Well, HSM, um, before we head into life groups, I have some uh, I have some big news that I want to share with you. I want to share this with you, HSM, because you are like family to me. And I love you all so much. After 10 years as HSM pastor, on July 2nd, in about three months, I will be stepping aside and I will no longer be the HSM pastor. But I am staying at Purpose Church as one of your pastors. You can't get rid of me that easily, okay? And my new roles at Purpose Church will be the next-gen pastor, which means I'll oversee all the ministries birth through young adults. And I will be one of the teaching pastors here, which means I'll be preaching more often on Sunday mornings. I want to repeat that again. Me and my family are not leaving Purpose Church, and I will be on staff still as one of your pastors. But before I explain more about that, I have to share one more announcement with you. And this is really exciting. Something else really significant is happening on July 2nd. Pastor Claire will officially become your new HSM pastor. 
Pastor Claire, Pastor Claire was a dream student in HSF. She used to sit right in the front row right here and laugh loudly at every joke I told. <laughs> she was a dream student. She was a phenomenal intern. She interned with us for a while. She's been an exceptional associate pastor. And I want you to hear me say this really clearly. I am absolutely beyond confident that Claire will be the best high school pastor we have ever had at the church. And I believe that. For me, serving as the HSM pastor for the last 10 years has literally been the greatest and most fulfilling ministry adventure that I could have ever asked for. Each of you students and leaders and the many who came before you have been a complete gift to my life and this ministry. And my heart is full of literally a bazillion memories that I will cherish forever. I am stepping aside because this feels like the right time. And God has assembled the very best HSM staff with Claire and Haley and your amazing HSM volunteer life group leaders. And I'm ready to support all of our next-gen ministries in a new way and serve all of Purpose Church in my new roles. My wife, Sarah, and I, who's in the back, my wife, Sarah, and I have enjoyed every minute leading this HSM community. And each of you, I want you to know this, each of you have been a blessing beyond words to Sarah, to me, and to our kids. This Sunday, myself and Pastor Glenn will be sharing more of this with your parents at the parent meeting, so I want to encourage you to make sure you send your parents to that. But students, I wanted to tell you first, that before your parents heard it, before you, you heard it from your parents, I wanted to tell it with you, I wanted to share it with you first. I wanted you to hear it directly from me, because I love you. I love you. Because we are family. We wanted this transition to last about three months, so that all of you HSM students and leaders have time to process and so that we can pass the baton well to Claire and Haley. I also want to be available to all of you over the next three months to process any emotions or feelings you might be having. Just so you know, my heart is a mixture of sadness and excitement. And maybe yours is too. If so, let the talk. Remember, you're still going to see me on Sundays and around campus here at Purpose and whenever I pop into HSM. So please don't treat me like the town leper. Okay, I don't have a disease. Still talk to me. Don't block me. That'll hurt my feelings. Okay, don't unfollow me. We're still friends, okay? And I want our friendships and our relationships to continue, and I look forward to that. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This singular verse has driven my ministry philosophy since I first started in ministry over 16 years ago. HSM, I love you. I love you. And it's been an absolute delight to be your HSM pastor these past few years. 
And what's made it such a fruitful and rewarding experience is that we have shared the gospel and we've shared our lives with each other. Just like Paul experienced in his community. One of the biggest reasons I have so much peace about this transition is because I truly believe that this team, that Pastor Claire and Haley and your incredible life group leaders are called by God for such a time as this to lead and take HSM further, further than we've ever gone before. HSM, your best days are ahead of you. The best is yet to come. Your future is bright. And, and it goes without saying, but I'm just going to say it anyways. HSM students and leaders, you are getting a massive upgrade. A massive upgrade. Like, like if I'm the first Android phone that ever existed, you know how much I hate Androids. If I'm the first Android phone that ever existed, Claire and Haley, they're iPhone 200s, okay? Like, it's just clear. It's absolutely clear. You know, here, here's something interesting to me. The book of Deuteronomy is all about God using Moses, Aaron, and Miriam for his purposes. The next book in the Bible, Joshua, is all about God using Joshua and Caleb for his purposes. HSM is transitioning from the book of Deuteronomy to the book of Joshua. In Numbers 32, 12, it says that Joshua and Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. HSM students, Pastor Claire, Haley, and your life group leaders, they are your Joshua's of HSM because they are following the Lord wholeheartedly. And God has called them to chart the course and lead this ministry, to disciple, to love on, and to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. Which means, HSM, your best days are ahead of you, not behind. HSM has never been the Eric show. It's never been about me. It's always been about creating a safe, and fun and biblical and loving community where we strive together to see every high school student everywhere following Jesus. And that, that is not changing. I love you, HSM. I always will. Please don't tell the rest of the church this is just our secret right here, okay? But I consider any job after or outside of being a high school pastor, a massive devotion, okay? <laughs> this is the best of the best. And I want to thank you for being the most amazing community of students and leaders that I could have ever dreamed of serving alongside. And so again, I want to reiterate, this, this change is happening on July 2nd. I'm still going to Mexico with you guys. I'm going to be around until I'm going to preach my last series in April. My three Wednesday nights in April are going to be my last series. And then on June 14th, that's going to be my last sermon as HSM pastor. And I want all of you here, we're going to invite past staff and volunteers and students and leaders. But I just wanted to tell you that. I wanted you to be able to prepare and I wanted us to be able to transition well together. And so... Whatever you're feeling, whatever emotions you're having, I hope you can go into your life groups and talk more about the message. But I want you to know, however this is hitting you, I love you and I care about you. 
I want to walk through it with you. And so if there's anything you want to talk about over these next several months, any conversations we want to have, anything we want to chat through, I just want you to know I'm available. And then I'm feeling sad and excited, but that sadness is real to me. I love you guys, your family, me. Before I tell your parents, uh, on Sunday, I wanted to make sure I told you guys. Let me pray for us. And then, um, then we'll head into our life groups. And I'm going to be here afterwards so we can talk tonight. And we've got time, okay? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much for this amazing community. It's been awesome being in this building for 10 years, but it doesn't even compare to the 10 years of relationships and the spiritual moments we've shared in this place and the ways that you've transformed my life. God, I thank you for the privilege that it's been to lead this community, and I'm so excited for the future of HSM. And God, as we head out filled with probably lots of different emotions about forgiveness and this news. I just pray that in our life group time, we'd have time to process whatever was impactful from the message and needs to be digested and whatever about this mess, about this announcement needs to be processed. Would you help us to begin to do that now? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.